0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Yes, we're going to play it up today. It might take a little different tactic than you're used to in in the sermon with the name Play It Up. Sounds like we're going to do some group games, but we're not. Come Wednesday night to Thrive FGC and you'll do some group games, or we'll do them elsewhere. But we do have a good time together because the joy of the Lord and Jesus' presence is here. And that's what we're going to ask for as well, that we are aware of his presence right now. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for... um, how you have worked, how you lived, Lord Jesus, um, all that you did and that you taught, and that how what you began, you continued to do in the book of Acts and through your church that has never ended. It's just not stopped, Lord. You keep working and you keep doing and you keep being present for us, and we thank you for that. Give to us that reality today. We pray for all the churches in our area. We ask you to bless them and bless all who worship there, that you would, um, your gospel um, be proclaimed. There's one church, Lord, um, and we know that, one church on earth in various forms, and we pray, Lord, in this area you'd create a movement by your Holy Spirit uh, that many, many more people join in uh, with you on your mission. So our text today, you can follow along um, either through um, the App Store. You can download the Bible app and look for the notes under Thrive Community Church or get our actual app that we have for the iPhone that Wyatt works so hard on. I mean, it's great stuff, and you can get a lot of things there, okay? So check that out. Um, We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This has kind of been the theme verse of Live It Up from the beginning. Um, The series that we're looking at how the early church was and how we are still today. And now we're going to uh, actually focus on this passage rather than other ones. Uh, We're focusing on this today as we play it up. And here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, here's a reality. Here's the truth. The Jesus movement grew explosively in the first three centuries A.D., just explosively on the scene from this small little band, boom. It took over the entire known world, all of Western civilization at that time. And the question is, why? There are many other religions. There are many other mystery cults-type things or other things that sociologically look about the same. Why? Why did the church grow? Because let me tell you, they had the worst PR possible, okay? The Roman elites castigated them. They were illegal, right? On top of that, the Jewish leaders hated them as well. So everybody who was in power didn't like it. They had no marketing plan. There was no Madison Avenue. They had no app. They had no media to speak of. They didn't have any buildings. Just think of all the obstacles that we say, hey, if we we need this, we need that. They had none of them. None of them. And how did it happen that this group that was considered like, you know, if you get into this group, you could die, become the group you wanted to join. You wanted to be on play on their team. How did that happen? And I think it's this that we see starting in Acts 2, but that we actually see throughout the first few centuries is that the Christian church or this movement of people was attractively different than what was going on in the culture around them. Because they had joy, they had love, they cared for one another like you wouldn't... uh, They had hope, they had a future. As it says here in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Devoted themselves. Now, we went through the apostles' teaching last week as we looked at the passage, how God's word, all scripture, is God-breathed and is profitable. And this week, we're going to be focusing on that word fellowship, and they devoted themselves. Now, that's an interesting word, and I guess I'm not going to bore you with the Greek behind it, and I don't remember what the Greek word was, but I do know that that tense of the Greek word for they devoted themselves is not just past tense. It was a continual thing. So they continually, persistently devoted themselves, okay? And they kept doing it. When you devote something, this thing just does not want to sit. I guess I either move around too much wide, it's not you, it's me, I know. Um, when you devote something to, you know, I devote my time to, you know, you give up your time. You give it away to whatever. I devoted my energy to that project. You give all of your energy to that product, right? It's giving something away when you devote it. And so it says in this text, not that they did devoted their time or they had devoted their energy, but they devoted themselves. They gave themselves away. Now, the New International Reader's Version puts it this way. They shared their lives together. It was life-on-life fellowship. They were just open to it, and that's how it was working. So what the early church did was so unusual and so radical and so different it had never been seen before. It's the principle that turned this wannabe like any other thing on its head and changed the whole Roman world. And how the good news of Jesus and the way they lived fit together like hand in glove. The medium and the message were the same. Now, it's interesting how other people in that time and age perceived what was going on. Um, some of the critics from Rome or from Jewish sources, if you read the early church and how they were perceived, you learn an awful lot from your critics, by the way. There was a man named um, Lucian of Samosata. He was a critic and a skeptic of Christianity. He lived in around the mid-100s AD, so just about 100 years after Jesus. And this is what he wrote about the New Testament, uh, about the church. Okay? The poor fools have persuaded themselves, above all, that they are immortal and will live forever, from which it follows that they despise death and many of them willingly undergo imprisonment. Moreover, their First lawgiver taught them that they are all brothers of one another when once they have sinned by denying the Greek gods and by worshiping that crucified Sophist himself and living according to his laws. So they despise all things equally, that is, they look at everything and treat it all the same, okay, and regard them as common property. So all the material goods they had, hey, whatever is yours is mine, right? accepting such teaching without any sort of clear proof. Accordingly, if any quack or trickster who can press his advantage comes among them, he can acquire great wealth in a very short time by imposing on simple-minded people. So you can see what they were saying and what Lucian said, hey, you can just come along and take advantage of them. Because they are so willing to give of themselves. They, it didn't make any sense to Lucian. But it did to the early church. In fact, they just wouldn't do it any other way. In Acts chapter 2, notice how often that word together comes up. So in verse 44, all the believers were together. In verse 46, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. In verse 46, again, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Now, what's fascinating about this is maybe you don't recall, but at the beginning of Acts 2, we find that the group that was coming together was from everywhere else, from all these different languages and backgrounds and different races and cultures, and they came together. These people were as varied, and it just didn't make... And here they are celebrating together a wide variety of people in a wide variety... It was fascinating. They were giving themselves to each other over all sorts of ethnic, cultural, and language boundaries. Now, of course, the early church in book of Acts, chapter 2, was still mainly from a Jewish background or at least proselytites to Judaism. But later on in Acts 13, when Paul comes on the scene and he sees in Antioch, there were people that were now barbarian, Gentile, and Jew, all talking and all being together. They were all connected together, and all of a sudden, And you go like, well, so is that really that different? And the answer is, unequivocally, at that time and age, yes, it had never been seen before. Kenneth Scott Ladorette, he's a historian who wrote a classic work on the early church. And he answered why was Christianity different. It's a long quote, but it is worth it, Okay, He writes, more than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek, and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophies never really won the allegiance of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated, the morally and socially cultured. Christianity drew the lowly and unlettered. It also developed a philosophy of its own which commanded the respect of many of the educated. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas two of its main rivals were primarily for men. And the church welcomed both rich and poor. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. The question must be raised why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to first appear in the world in Christianity. Do you realize to love your enemies rather than kill them? To forgive them unconditionally, to reconcile with people rather than take revenge on them and hold a grudge, first appeared in Christianity. The culture in Rome and Greece thought it was. Crazy. That is no way to run a society. In fact, it needs to be run by power and the strong. And those who are educated, those who are talented, those who are powerful need to be in charge in the center of everything. And those who are weak and those who have nothing to their advantage need to be kept off to the margins. And Christianity reversed it all, upset the whole apple cart, and the whole Roman and Greek world from people like Lucian and others that said, this will never work. And within three, three centuries, Christianity took over the known world. Why? How? Our understanding of human rights, that everyone has value and dignity, that each, that comes from Christianity and was first seen there. Hospitals, orphanages, the relief for the poor was started by Christians following after Jesus. And now we take those things as axiomatic. That's the way it's supposed to be. In theory, we say that at least. And yet it wasn't that way. That's not the way it was seen. In the in Rome, if you had, I'm sorry, you know, women, it's just amazing sometimes how it goes. If you had another child who was female, you know, here's another girl, just throw them out on the streets, let them die. When the plagues came, oh, we got a. They ran away. The Christians brought in them. Many lost their lives and yet saved many as well. Why? Why did it start with Christianity? Why this reversal of the way things were? And I think the simple answer is Jesus. Okay? Jesus. Kind of culminating in his whole um, his whole ministry of three years with his disciples, he prays the night before he 's crucified in John chapter seventeen and this is what Jesus says in front of his disciples as he prays, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now this is john 's way of saying things like, I devoted myself to consecrate is to devote something. For God's use, Jesus gave Himself away. He gave Himself away. We can see that from His birth. Um, one of my favorite uh, Christmas carols is "Hark the Herald Angels Sing," and in it it says, "Mild He lays His glory by." He gave Himself away, even in His birth, where He was wasn't born in a palace. It was a manger as a maternity war where a cow could have stepped on him. And from then on, his whole life was giving himself away, giving himself away, being fully present for others, extremely real, extremely vulnerable, and keep giving himself away. It started at his birth. It continued through his crucifixion, and it didn't end there. It doesn't end there. Even in his resurrection, it's not like Jesus does a one and done and goes away and says, whew, I'm done with that stuff, he keeps giving himself away. Every time, wherever two or three are gathered, Jesus says, I am present to give myself away to you. Every time you open God's word, as we said last week, Jesus is present to give himself to you, to give himself away. We are celebrating the Lord's Supper once again, and as he did it on the first night he was betrayed, he keeps doing it. He keeps giving himself away to you. He is fully present. He is fully alive. And that is what's radically changed everything, that the early church believed this. The early church believed in the reality of Jesus, that Jesus is real, okay? Jesus is real, Okay? His full presence is real. He wasn't just real at one time. He is real now. And so they weren't lo- just looking back to the past, to what was. They weren't looking to oh rem- reminisce about, oh, you remember when Jesus did this? Like I said, the book of Acts starts out with Luke saying that my first account, Theophilus, was for uh, when, what, what Jesus did and started to do and started to teach, his second account is what Jesus is still doing and still teaching now through his people. And the early church lived out the reality of that. They expected Jesus to be present in every conversation, to be, Jesus was with them always. Wherever two or three are gathered, wherever they happen to be, Jesus is real and really present. And we believe the same at Thrive. Okay? We believe that same thing. Jesus is real. I think Tanya's witness was to the reality of Jesus. Because Jesus is real, she feeds the homeless. Because Jesus is real, she took a job with Love, Inc. where she could have gotten a lot more income, let me tell you, by doing something else. But that wasn't the point. The point was to... Live out the reality of Jesus in my every day. When Lisa gave her testimony, when Katie gave her testimony, as we saw those as well, the reality of Jesus is present. It is not something just in the past. It's not something just someday in the future I will see. But right here, right now, he is present, as present as anyone else in this room, and more so, really. So it's kind of like, why thrive? Why another church start, right? We are not the best show in town. Maybe you've been there. You know, you've seen those. We're not the best music in town. We don't have the best preaching in town. We don't have it together. You know, we don't have the greatest marketing plan. We don't. But we believe the reality of Jesus is here right now. I think our first song that uh, was picked out by Jerry and the worship team was talking about that, that Jesus is real. Not just his path, death, and resurrection, but they affect our present. N.T. Wright, kind of what he paraphrased, um, well, I'm paraphrasing him when I say this. The church lives out in reality how humanity is supposed to live in theory. Most people know it's a good way to live, to give ourselves away to be present for each other, to serve one another, to love one another, but they don't really live it. This is the church. The church is to be living that out all the time, and we can. That's what we're about. That's what's going to make us, quote, different, I guess. I've been in churches, I've I've pastored, now this is my fifth, I think. Am I right, Lisa? I don't I should probably count them um, sometime and really think through it. But so often, and I've been in a number of other churches, and most of the churches I've been in, even the one I grew up in, it was kind of like Jesus is sort of here, but he really was here 2,000 years ago. And we just reminisce about that. We try to remember what that was like. So he was a historical reality, but he isn't a present reality. That is not the book of Acts. And if that's all there is, then we just kind of gather together to remember the past and hope for a future and just kind of get by in the present. That isn't the case at all. We live in the reality of how we can live because Jesus is fully here, fully for us right now. So what is this going to look like? I think we get some hints here from the book of Acts in chapter 2. Like I said first, you will get together with others. Okay? This is one of our gatherings. Some of you there's Hunter with his food from Chipotle. Yeah. But we're gonna just gather together with others. From simply our home huddles, which we've got signups for, to the fact that um, from game nights and checking out each other when we're sick, praying for each other, supporting each other. Okay, I should have picked a different picture. You're all looking like, oh, I'm up in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. It was what happened to Kyrie, huh? I guess um, it was one of these, uh, you know, I was doing one of these panoramic views, and she got morphed into an alien being there. Sorry, Kyrie. They might be watching in Kenya. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Second, you're going to give yourself away. It won't be about an hour a week. It's not going to be simply to dabble a few times here and there in things. It's not like you're going to keep yourself back, but you're going to open yourself up. You'll spend time with people who don't really help you with your resume. They are not to your advantage. But because of Jesus really being there, you will be there because you know where Jesus is. He's with the weak and the lonely and the imprisoned. And the people who are not to our advantage, that's what we're going to be about. And even when you have a great circle of friends, you'll believe that there's always room for more. And what does this look like together? I think it'll be that we will be diverse. Okay? There'll be people from different political spectrums in this room. Oh! You know? You know? We're going to have different understandings of how society should work, what life is all about. We're going to have people from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, and thank God we do. We should be as diverse as our area is diverse, age-wise, etc., because that is what the church is. The unity is in Jesus Christ. It's not in my ideology. Okay, We will be outward-focused. It won't simply be a gathering of like-minded people who think exactly alike about everything and we just kind of have our little holy huddle to stay to ourselves, but we're going to be reaching out to people and we will be looking at people and there will be people present that we might say they have the wrong ideas about religion or the wrong politics or the lifestyle that's different. And we go like, whoa, wait a minute. And yet that's exactly who needs to be here. I'd rather have people here with us in our participating in anything that we've got here than anywhere else because the church is not, it's kind of a messed up place. I don't know if church is messy. Have you ever noticed that? It is at least um, behind the scenes, okay? If I ever cut, you know, we take back the curtain, you see what's going on. We're all broken people trying to figure it out, but the reality of Jesus' presence in our lives means that we're going to keep focusing outward with him and we're going to be about that and we allow us to just be a little messy and yet be gathered together in his name. We're going to be family. Unified but not monotone. We'll allow for differences. We're going to be united around Jesus we're gonna have love for each other. We won't be perfect, but we'll still be able to depend on each other, care for each other, be there for each other, pray for each other. That's why home huddles are so important because it's really hard to be a family of 80 or 90 or 100 people, or 200 who kind of pass through here. But in a group of eight or 12 or even 15, you can draw close and be there for each other during those tough times. I think this one's important as well. We'll be expectant. We expect Jesus to show up. We expect Jesus to be involved in people's lives. That he has arrived before I do on Sunday mornings. That he arrives in my neighborhood and is in the lives of people around me in ways that I, he's working on them. He's the one in mission, and I come alongside of him, and I expect, I don't demand, but I expect that miracles will happen, lives will be changed. He is present and he is active. And we will be growing. Okay? As Acts says it this way in verse 47, And the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Now that's a byproduct of the fact that they devoted themselves, that they gave themselves away, that they were open to others, that they shared the joy and the love of Jesus, that they didn't hold on to things and reserve them just for me, myself, and my family, but were open to each other. The purpose is Jesus. And the, prod, uh, the, the byproduct is growth. So I guess the real question is, as I kind of mentioned it before, while I was growing up and what I've seen at different times, it seemed like to me in a church of three, 4,000 members that I grew up in, that for a lot of people, Jesus wasn't that real. He was kind of an idea or a concept or a, um, a historical figure. How real is he to you? Is he real to you? Because that makes all the difference for the early church, and I think it's going to make all the difference for us as well. And whether your perception is there or not, the reality is he is present right here, right now, for you, calling to you, giving himself away to you at this moment, coming to you, inviting himself into your life, invading your space with all of his promises, with all of his goodness, for all of your issues. Are you welcoming him in? Let's do so right now and pray. Lord God, this day, You are so here, more present and more real than our problems, our issues, our struggles, our experiences. You are so here, Lord, and you're giving yourself away again, and we thank you for that we thank you that in a few moments you will give yourself away and we receive you with the bread and the wine your very body your blood who you are all that you've done for us help us to receive it and trust you fully and then in response to give ourselves away to each other Lord there may be some here who you just the reality of your presence alive today is just not quite there yet, but unlike any other religion, Lord, we know you are, not that you were, but you are. You are our God. You are alive and well and working on planet Earth and in our lives. You are on mission and you continue to give yourself away. So, Lord, Thank you. We receive you. We welcome you. We want more of you. And so, help us to live that reality, Lord, to be attractively different than the culture around us, just like the early Christians were. In your name, dear Jesus, we pray. Amen.